The JMU women's basketball team's been getting by just fine here recently, winning some close games. The men uh, up and down a little bit. Also some football news as we get into this week's episode of the Purple and Bold podcast. I'm Shane Metlin here again with Noah Fleischman. Noah, I guess we'll start out with give us – this is kind of becoming the weekly thing is give us the latest on uh, JMU and the transfer portal and recruiting uh, since we were in here last week. Yeah, they're, they're still active. They picked up two more portal gets, so that brings up their portal, you know, entries to – or portal, I guess, you know, grabs to 11 um, total. But they got two guys. They got a tight end and a, a defensive lineman, you know. Uh, defensive lineman's Emmanuel Bush from Marshall. And then Kai Wright, a tight end from Pitt, who, who really didn't see a whole lot of time on the field. But two guys I think can make an impact this year, both bringing depth to their respective positions. And, I mean, a guy like Emmanuel Bush had a career best game against JMU this fall, and now he ends up – in a JMU jersey going in the fall camp or spring camp. Yeah, and maybe he's a little like Terrence Green where he was like, hey, I like playing in this stadium because <laughs> I had a good game and uh, I'm going to come back and finish my career here. Um, yeah, let's let's get on Emmanuel Bush, uh, start with, you know, a, a Sunbelt to Sunbelt transfer, which is becoming more and more common uh, these days. It, the yeah, league. it's happening everywhere. <laughs> it's happening all over the place. Um, and I think, you know, probably the immediate comparison everybody's going to make is Jamari Edwards, who also came from Marshall. Um was good at Marshall, but I think probably um, had an even better season at JMU this year, in an all-conference type season. Um, so uh, that's going to be the obvious comparison to make. Is it a comparison that makes sense other than just you know switching from green to purple? I think I, mean, I think you know a guy like Jamar Edwards is a little more talented off the get. I mean, he only had one year of eligibility left. He came in, had 12 tackles for a loss, second team All-League pick. A guy like Emmanuel Bush, he's got three years of eligibility left. He's more of a depth guy right now, but I think they can develop him to, like, you know, a good, good solid defensive lineman. But I don't think he'll make as big of an impact right away just because he's got three years rather than one. But, you know, 35 total tackles, five and a half tackles for a loss, and, and three and a half sacks through his two seasons playing there. He redshirted. He, so he played in 2020, redshirted 2021, played in 2022. So he's got three years to play three, and he, he's pretty decent. I mean, he'll at least bring depth to this defensive line, which only loses Jamar Edwards. Could lose Isaac Guku. Hasn't really said anything publicly on that yet, but that should come up sooner than later just because the portal entry comes up soon, the NFL draft entry comes up soon, and then I think we'll have a better idea after that. Yeah, um, you know, as was kind of pointed out, I think, on Twitter when um, – we, we can get into this too, JMU being in the uh, way-too-early top 25 <laughs> by ESPN and everything, but, you know, when they're kind of going over JMU and why they're in that initial ranking – a lot of it had to do with the number of guys coming back on defense, and they seem to be including Isaac in that category, whether or not they know anything that anybody else doesn't, or if it's just like, well, he hasn't announced, so we'll assume he's coming back Yeah, I think, um, I think type of thing. But, um, yeah, like you said, they're adding even more depth to defensive line where they were so good last year, but – you know, as as no we <laughs> yeah, as we saw though, like you know, you can lose guys at any time. They lost two guys who were expected to contribute, really, just right before the season started. Yeah. Uh, so getting a guy like this in um, really helps. Do you see him as more of a? I know they've moved some guys around and shuffled the things a little bit during the season last year, but do you see him more as an interior type of guy than? Um, especially if Isaac comes back, they're pretty pretty solid, pretty in pretty good shape on the outside. Yeah, he's definitely an interior guy. He's like 6'2", 6'3", 300 pounds, and he's he's a guy that's going to stop the run, and I think you know that's something that you know he can kind of take Jamar Edwards' place a little bit in that sense because he was a big guy on the inside. Um, but, you know, they bring back James Carpenter, who had mm-hmm. basically, I think, the best season on the defensive line of anyone this year. But other than that, you I mean, this D-line's young pretty much outside of a guy like Ukwu and, and Jamar Edwards. 
you know, it's young. They've got a lot of talent there. And so he'll fit in. I think he'll compete for a job and will at least be a rotational piece this year going into the into the fall. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about that game in Harrisonburg where he got in on a couple sacks. And, um, you know, obviously with the last minute change at quarterback, things weren't going well for JMU. The pocket was kind of collapsing. And, they, yeah. you know, Billy Billy Atkins was under pressure all day. So they were, they were putting up some sack numbers. But it is kind of um, – kind of I think worth noting that you're talking about an interior guy uh, you know a guy with that kind of size who you know James Carpenter's coming back at the nose guard position but he put up better sack numbers than you might expect <laughs> for somebody to just wind up right over top of the center most of the time um so I think it's kind of you know will we see a similar type of uh production from a guy like this maybe not next year but like you said he's got three years eligibility he's obviously talented young guy um and you know from what i saw from the marshall beat writers too it seemed like people were pretty high on him um when he first came into marshall under a different coaching staff and maybe maybe the change of pace will be good for him yeah i mean bush when you look back at the film against jmu i went and kind of you know clipped it up put it on twitter but when he had those two sacks the second half the first one he kind of got in with owen porter who wreaked havoc on jmu that day he pushed cole potts basically five to six yards in the backfield each time he got in the backfield. And so I think, you know, Jamie sees that film, and like, we kind of like this guy, and then it works out. Um, you know, he's not the only one that they've played against in recent history that they've picked up, but he's definitely the, the newest one. But the other guy they picked up was Kai Wright, a, a transfer from Pitt, um, a tight end. This is a guy who, coming out of high school, was a sought-after player. You know, he's, he's rated number 17th overall in the state of Pennsylvania coming out of high school. He was a quarterback. He switched to tight end. Um, you know, he only, I think, had three or four receptions total in his in his college career. Um, you know, he played a little bit this year, all coming back from injury. Um, but other than that, you know, he's a guy who I think adds depth to this tight end room. You know, he's now the fourth new tight end coming into the year, two transfers, two freshmen. So I think that helps. And, you know, the familiarity with the Signetti name also helps. I mean, Frank Signetti, you know, when Kai Wright announced he was going to JMU, he replied to the tweet and was like, you know, good luck, and I think you can help the Dukes winning the Sun Belt, so I think that also helps, you know, having familiarity a little bit with the with the family. Yeah, um, certainly, and, you know, he didn't get a ton of playing time or, you know, a ton of targets, but was playing on some pretty pretty good um, mm-hmm. pretty good pit teams. He'll come in with a uh, ACC championship ring, I believe, um, you know, maybe locked in a box or somewhere. I don't know if he'll wear it around, but, uh, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what they end up doing with um, the number of tight ends if it changes – you know, they did go two tight ends. They went a, a lot. A, a lot this year. But um, just the sheer number of guys that they're recruiting into that position is um, not something you see from every program. No, it is. I think they're really committing to this, you know, run offense that obviously worked this year, but especially with the mobile quarterback, you need to have tight ends that can block because, one, they're either going to block downfield or they're going to go out and pat, catch a ball. So I think yeah. that, that really is a key position in this kind of offense that they're creating. And so I think that, that that helps. But obviously we talked about they lose two tight ends to graduation and a guy like Drew Painter and Noah Turner. Um, but they bring four in in there to join a guy like Zach Horton, who he played really well mm-hmm. last year. And I think Zach Horton will be a guy that is at the top of the depth chart. But then you've got a guy like Taylor Thompson from Charlotte. You've got Kai Wright. And then you've got two really good freshmen coming in. Um, you know, Colin Carroll was the first commit 
over last year, and then you got the the uh, um, Pfeiffer from Georgia, who's a three star tight end. So tight end room is going to look a lot different um, this this fall, and I think it'll be something that looks good though. Yeah, and um, you know, I saw I know some programs have uh, you know basically announced their transfers about as soon as they happen to get them to sign some sort of non-binding paperwork. It does sound like JMU is probably going to be making their stuff a pretty official sometime next week. Yeah. Um, like you said, 11 guys right now. Do you expect much to happen between now and then as far as, you know, JMU and uh, continue to go after some transfers? Or are we probably waiting until after spring? I think I wouldn't put out the question and get one or two more in uh, before the semester starts next week. I mean, Jamari Edwards is a guy who he had – enrolled in JMU a week after the semester started. So there's time to get them in, um, basically, for that first week of classes. But I think that they're aiming on, you know, getting it all wrapped up Monday, Tuesday next week and, and being good to go. And, and that's when they're expected to make the announcements, you know, because transfers don't sign an NLI. They sign an aid agreement, which isn't binding. We saw a guy at Virginia Tech who did that and then ended up leaving going to Wisconsin, you know, in the same offseason this year. So that that happens, but... That's why JMU hasn't announced anyone because they want to wait till they get on campus since they're they're pretty much locked in at that point. But overall, I expect eleven announcements next week, and and that's what it sounds like it'll be. Yeah, so I think that you know is pretty much the uh, football update for now. But uh, like I said, we'll probably have uh, plenty to talk about as we see who makes it official and uh, who they end up announcing sometime next week. Um, on the basketball side of things, uh, JMU men. Uh, up and down in the first couple of weeks of Sunbelt play, and they, you know, had to hit on the road to um, needing some victories. But the women are looking like vintage JMU women's basketball with um, early, I don't know if I'd say dominance, because they're winning some relatively close games. But 11-game win streak is 11-game win streak. They're cruising. The only team 4-0 in the Sunbelt right now. And now they're coming home to play um, I believe four straight games mm-hmm. at home. Um, fairly, fairly. Um, I don't know if I'd say critical stretch for them, but a stretch where they could really maybe put some distance between them and the rest of the conference. They take care of business in one of the few places in women's basketball that really gives you an actual home court advantage. Yeah, I mean, you know, Sean Regan talked about it a little bit. You know, you go on the road and. He said it's obviously different than CAA, where you go on a CAA road game, there's like six people there. And he said, you know, there's there's a decent-sized crowd, but he said, you know, JMU gets the best crowd for women's games, and I think that helps them. But, you know, you said going back to it, they win these four. You're 7-0 to start conference play, and I think the biggest thing was just going past week, going 2-0 on the road, which it's harder to win on the road um, in the Sunbelt Conference than it is at home. And if you take care of your home games and you're able to steal a couple on the road, I think it really helps you distance yourself from the rest of the pack and, and that these next four games should be pretty critical. We're starting on Thursday. Um, but then they have the men's women's doubleheader on Saturday too. Yeah, I mean, especially when you look at how the uh, the Sun Belt kinda has played out so far. Um, you know, ODU's struggled a little bit, but I think they're still a team that can kind of be in the mix for the you know the top half of the league. And Jamie's already got a win against them; they'll play them one more time. But you know, going out to Southern Miss, a team that's been pretty solid, um, I think is going to be one of the better teams in the West. When you get that win on the road. Um, and the only time you're going to meet them, that's that's pretty huge. You know, gives you a little bit of you know something to to work with as far as um, you know room room to make a mistake or two maybe down the stretch as you're looking for seating and stuff later this season. And they'll play Troy once, who I think you know probably 
unless something drastic changes, I would think as the years go on, people are going to be talking about JMU and Troy in women's basketball as kind of the two teams that, you know, battle for supremacy in this conference. Um, the big start by JMU and the balance they've had so far has, yeah, just really been huge for this program getting back to where I think everybody who follows JMU sports kind of expects and wants JMU women's basketball to be. Yeah, I think so. And I think, yeah, you know, especially by hiring a guy like Neil Harrow, who came from Troy and knows how to win the Sun Belt helps. Um, but, yeah, I think JMU is going to be one of the teams top in the country. But, you know, going back to their two games they won last week, that's a tough stretch. Not only you're playing at Southern Miss, they played at Marshall before. That road trip's a pretty long road trip, and they came out 2-0. And I think, you know, Sean O'Regan talked about it. He was kind of happy to spend a lot of time with this team and also come out with two wins. Yeah, and, you know, something I'm planning on asking coaches that come in and, like, try to talk to some coaches that they do about um, how they handle the travel. Because, uh, you know, Sean brought it up during the press conference, too, that, you know, he, he thanked the administration for getting them a flight from Huntington to Hattiesburg, which, you know, are not – not uh, two places with, you know, four terminal international airports. You know, they're not the easiest places in the world to get to. Hattiesburg isn't even, you know, on an interstate, um, I don't think. So <laughs> it's, it's you know, it's um, it, it's a big thing. And it's something that um, talking to some of the Sunbelt coaches on the men's side in the summer about what they wanted to do to improve the conference. Uh, Dan D'Antoni was one who basically says, like, yeah, our teams have to start paying the money to charter flights and JMU did that for their two um the two you know big kind of unwieldy road trips that uh it seems like every Sunbelt team has one of where they have to like turn around and go a long distance from Thursday to Saturday um JMU went ahead and paid for the charters I'm curious if anybody else is doing that or if that's going to be a pretty big advantage for JMU um at least in the meantime I think it's an advantage you know we talked about when Jamie joined the Sunbelt they're already the top spending t- school, and I think that that right there shows you know that they're they're willing to spend it. A lot of teams aren't going to spend money like just a lot of teams aren't going to spend money on women's basketball. Like as bad as that sounds, that's just a fact, and that's just what it, it happens in college sports a lot. Um, you see men's basketball getting that treatment, football obviously getting the treatment, but you know it shows that JMU is here to here to play and, and here to you know one thing is spend money and two is to keep teams on an even playing field and I think when it when a team like women's basketball has been so good for so long at the university they have a down year last year they come back I think that just helps them you know be able to rebound and, and get back on the winning ways and if they can see the administrations behind the team I think that just helps the team's confidence if anything and it also helps you you know travel a little nicer and getting from point A to point B rather than taking a million connections as a Regan probably he said they would have been all day traveling and you know spending time in different airports but aside from that breaking news Isaac Uku's back for another year he oh. just announced <laughs> oh yeah all right breaking news on the uh the, the purple and bold podcast that's why I was kind of yeah I kind of <laughs> caught off guard for a second yeah um well we'll go back and hit on that we'll, we'll get into the travel stuff I, I think that's an interesting topic but since we got the breaking news let's talk about Isaac what he brings back to JMU. Um, I wasn't necessarily expecting that announcement right now, although it, it seemed like signs were excited to point to that. Um, I think that um, in itself kind of makes the preseason hype, the uh, way too early preseason hype, top 25 uh, talk, I think that makes it more legit to have a guy like that, like a really a potential All-American type pass rusher back next year. I think it is. I mean, I just said he's probably one of the biggest pieces coming back on this defense obviously 
he's going to be the leader. He was the leader this year on this defense. Now we'll be bona fide leader, and I think that it helps this team, you know, have some stability on the defensive front. You know, obviously you have James Carpenter we talked about a minute ago, but Uku is just different. I mean, he can get in the backfield. He's a good pass rusher, and I think, you know, you kind of saw the writing on the wall with this coming, with Janu not recruiting any pass rushers from the portal and I think once you saw that mm-hmm. I was like okay it's it's probably coming back and I knew the the announcement was gonna be coming soon and, and there it is yeah um you know like you said a leader on the team just in the fact that you know it, it's noticeable when Kurt Signetti sort of like unofficially designates somebody as his spokesman and Isaac Uku is definitely he, a guy that like yeah. Kurt puts out there to talk and be a representative of this team in public. I mean, first of all, we can go back to media day. He came to media day with Percy say And then, you know, first couple games, we see him post-game. We see him weekly. And then, you know, when they, when Jamie hit that three-game losing streak, Isaac talked all three weeks. Yeah. And so I think that says something right there. If, you know, he's a leader, they trust him to, to, you know, say the right things after a loss and whatnot. And then he talked after the win over Coastal, too. So, obviously, a guy that Signetti likes a lot and I think, you know, was kind of – maybe campaigning to get him to come back for one more year like you know he he had a decent year probably down from what he was expecting to have this year and I think you come back next year if he has a 10 or 12 sack year next year I think the NFL is looking good and so I think you know coming back from injury and all that stuff I think he, he's ready to rock and roll yeah I mean it, it, to talk about the defensive line you know you add um you add some transfers you, you probably hope a guy like Mikhail Kamara is back and ready to contribute. Where I mean, you know, we saw him when he was healthy. Yeah, he when he, he was he was legit. <laughs> yeah, now you're talking about a team that should be able to really get into the to backfield once again, which they they did a great job of this year. But you know, there's always going to be some question marks when you're losing a couple guys. Like, you know, a guy like Jamari Edwards is you know probably really like we've mentioned before, really the only significant loss, um, yeah. you know, numbers wise, but. A guy that athletic kind of opens things up for everybody else with the amount of attention he draws. Um, having Uku back to kind of do that on the outside is, yeah, just going to be. It, we can't even really kind of state how big of an not addition, but um, a big of a boost that is to keep him back for an extra year. Yeah, I think it's you know probably the biggest boost if unless you know somehow they could have found a way to get Tots and Tail one more year <laughs> of eligibility. But outside yeah. of that, a miracle happening, I think this is the probably the best news or at least the biggest returning piece from this team from last from this past year going into this year. Now you talk about that the top twenty five. Defense is basically all back. Yeah. Offense is gonna be brand new, but if, if the offense starts clicking then you know yeah. things are gonna be going. It, it, yeah, the offense is going to be new, but it's kind of a situation where, like, you know, I think it's going to be a legit competition for quarterback. But if Jordan McLeod looks like the Jordan McLeod from his, you know, freshman year at USF, like what you would expect a guy to um, to progress in a system that fits him, if he's solid, I think, yeah, the expectations for JMU football – going into next year should be should be quite high like I think they should be expecting to be you know I think double digit victories you know if even if you, if you count the opportunity to potentially play for a championship game in a bowl game and things that's that's a real potential benchmark that I think they have a decent shot of reaching next year I think it's possible too and I think that now with him back like honestly there's a pretty high possibility Jamie's the favorite in the east yeah, at media day, I mm-hmm. think that you know they'll they'll get first place votes. Will yeah. they get it? 
I mean, you look around the East Division, probably. Possibly, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, Marshall's probably also got a claim on that, depending on how... The quarterback situation's kind yeah. of iffy, but... Yeah, it is. But, I mean, you, you could argue it's iffy at JMU. We're kind of giving them the benefit of the doubt based on, uh, you know, recent track record with new guys. But um, you, you never know until he's actually in here taking snaps. But, yeah, I think JMU will definitely be <clears throat> among the favorites in the East, if not the out-and-out um, -out favorite. Yeah, I think so, and I think that Isaac Gugu's a big note. But, you know, yeah. going back to uh, women's basketball and travel, I think, you know, it's a, it's a big, yeah. big big thing yeah yeah i mean i'm not sure that uh i'm not sure that the men get the win in huntington or the women get the win in um hattiesburg if they're either on a bus for 10 hours or changing planes twice in between those two towns so that, yeah i think that's um def definitely a big thing and you know to transition into the men they now have uh, the opportunity and kind of, you know, the pressing need to uh, once again get it done on the road because they, you know, it frankly kind of blew it at home there in the past two games. Um, you know, it, it's never easy to beat, to win a conference game, but I think given what we'd seen out of JMU so far, um, the way their offense had performed at home, you know, you can take even the, the D, the non-Division one games out of it, yep. which, you know, they're set sites that um will do that for you so you can uh, check the stats <laughs> and um you know they were probably the best performing offensive team in the country going into last week at home specifically yeah. um they were scoring on 62 percent of their possessions against not against division one opponents at home and they weren't like 100 percent possessions against non-division <laughs> <laughs> it was it, it, it was up there um but yeah it, it was so it was, you know, striking to see just how much trouble they had and how um, how Texas State and Appalachian State were able to find some ways to kind of slow them down. And if they were not hitting threes, then JMU was really, really, really struggling on the offensive side. Yeah, it was. And I think, you know, Byington talked about it before some of the plays started that, you know, you're, you're not going to score 90 points a game, 80 points a game. Mm -hmm. Somebody got to be able to win in the 60s and 70s. And, you know, JMU really wasn't able <laughs> – to do that, you know, against Texas State, they had the lead late. Texas State hits two free throws and wins. But then, you know, App just kind of from the get-go took the lead and, and took a big lead, 20 points at, at the half, I believe. And, you know, Jamie clawed back in the second half, made it a game late, but, you know, it was too little too late. And, yeah, I think that's, it's, you know, you lose those two games at home and they hit the road and it's like, it's a, I, I wouldn't call a game this early a must-win, but at this point, might be turned into that at least to kind of get the tie turning again yeah appalachian state came in and played a zone that they hadn't showed uh much or at all at all this <laughs> season um and maybe it took jmu like a little bit by surprise and jmu didn't shoot a three well at all and you know maybe if they were making some threes they pull app state out of that and it's a little bit of a different look um but you know both app state and texas state found a way to not let JMU run. Texas State, it really jumped out to me that, like, JMU wasn't able to run even after getting stops. They get a rebound or a steal, a turnover. Like, it didn't create any transition opportunities. Texas State did things, just little things, just like, I'm going to put my hand out here. <laughs> or, I'm, down. or I'm going to, you know, like, just kind of defend the outlet pass a little bit or, you know, slap you on the wrist. And if I get a foul, I got a foul. But, you know, you didn't you didn't get a transition yeah, basket. <laughs> like, you know, um, they did a lot of that, and that really slowed Jamie down. It'll be, 
I'll be, you know, very intrigued to see what JMU comes up with to kind of counter that because they definitely do want to get back out running. You know, some of it might just be, you know, as Mark Byington harped on, being tougher and, you know, withstanding that for a second and then gathering yourself and getting back into, you know, what you want to do. But, um, you know, it, it really seemed like, you know, especially like from maybe like the battling on the rebounds that they felt they – they got, um, I guess, more resistance to defensive rebounds, it seemed like, against Texas State in particular. And then they go down on the offensive end, and the big men, unless they're a little rattled or something, they're just not catching the ball sometimes on entry passes. Uh, it was really just it's remarkable how off they were offensively after, you know, really finding ways to, you know, come out of chaos with baskets a lot of times early in the season. Yeah, you know, a lot of those turnovers were just – people dropping passes, things like that, and just like, you know, stuff, stuff you weren't expecting to see, but at yeah. the same time, it, it might be a good thing. The only good thing about that is it's not your primary ball handlers just turning the ball over. It's just, you know, guys just not catching the ball, which is something that's fixable, and it's not as bad as, you know, your point guard throwing the ball away a million times. So there's that only bright spot. Yeah. But, you know, we'll see how they can turn around on Thursday and then, you know, come back home on Saturday, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, you mentioned that about the primary ball, ball handlers because – Against Texas State when they had, I think, what was it, 15, 16 turnovers in the first half? It was like 12 or 13, 13 something, yeah, something like, like that. that. Only three of those did come from their point guards. Uh, you know, yeah. A lot of those were uh, the big men turning it over when they tried to get it in there. Um, so, yeah, hopefully that's something, you know, you can work out if you're Mark Byington. You know, definitely something they've got to be paying more attention to. Um, yeah, the other thing that kind of jumped out to me is, like you, you mentioned earlier, they had regained the lead late in the game against Texas State. It looked for a while like they were probably going to like pull it out because they'd come back and handled it and everything. It ends up being yet another loss. Before App State, it was four of the five losses that they had. They had been within two points at some point in the final minute of regulation and had lost <laughs> and had lost uh, four games that way. Um, they only lost like that. That wasn't like that was North Carolina. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's interesting after seeing, you know, a team um, make a lot of plays late in games early last season that they just weren't doing it this year. Um, I don't know if it's, you know, just a lot of averages kind of, you know, coming into play. You know, Talk Molson isn't going to make the game-winning basket every time out. They don't have Chuck Falden, who was – you know, a clutch guy. They called him Clutch Falden here last year because he was making those shots. Um, they don't have him, but they'd have, you know, Votto has made game winning shots in his career. DeCall Molson has made game winning shots in his career. They've got guys who you feel comfortable putting the ball in their hands in those situations, and they're just like not really getting it done in close games this year. Yeah, and I think, you know, against Texas State, you foul late and just put them on the line, and then you're up one and you foul, and they just knock down two free throws with like what? three seconds on the clock. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of – that hurts yourself in a, in a way. Yeah. But, yeah, I think, you know, we'll see what they can do to turn it around, turn the boat around because you're going to need to, especially with, you know, the away game at South Alabama tomorrow, and then you've got Georgia Southern coming to town, which it's going to be a whole – it's got all sorts of different storylines going through that one. Yeah, and I'm surprised South Alabama is sitting at one and three in the Sun Belt. Um, their overall record is not good, but um, – there's a lot of talent on that team, and you go back and look at their non-conference schedule. Their losses are to teams like Alabama, Oklahoma, good teams, Towson, Florida Atlantic. Um, 
they played a tough non-conference schedule. Um, you know, I think presumably they did that to get ready for the Sun Belt, and then they start out um, in last place in the Sun Belt. It, a little bit of a surprise to me, given um, they've got shooters, they've got scorers, they've got a seven-footer who can, uh, you know, really dominate the paint. I feel like South Alabama should be better than they are right now, and um, you know, it's kind of when JMU and them match up, it's kind of like you're wondering which team is going to come out of this field. Like, okay, now we kind of turned the corner a little bit. I think it's whoever wins. And, then, yeah. you know, if JMU comes out with a road win, I think you're really like, okay, things mm-hmm. are back to normal again. If you lose on the road, it's not the end of the world, but, you know, you're on a three-game skid, and it kind of makes Saturday's game, like, you know, you need to win. Yeah. So I think that's kind of the it'll, – it'll take the pressure off of them, I think, a little bit coming home on Saturday and playing mm-hmm. a George Southern team who's not bad and – you know, it's going to be Byington's first time playing his old team and, you know, yeah. a few other things that go into that one. Yeah, you know, Georgia Southern team that's um, it, it a little bit surprising at 3-1. and one, But, um, yeah, if JMU, if JMU can win a couple games this week, then I think we're kind of like, you know, not to be totally overreacting to week to week to everything, but I think you kind of like say, okay, well, maybe that's just one of those, you know, bad – stretches that even good teams have over the course of a season um but it it, it wound up being surprising and disappointing if you're a JMU fan when I think they probably probably had the expectation that they would be 4-0 in conference right now after they get that win at Marshall and instead they're 2-2 two and two and you feel like you gave away home home games when when those are uh you know, valuable commodity and conference race. They are. I mean, home games is always going to help you, and you know, you got to win. You got to win at home. That's just what it comes down to. If you want a good seed in the conference tournament, unfortunately, they dropped both of them last year. Yeah, or last week, not last year. Yeah, wrong well, thing. <laughs> Almost last yeah. year, but you know. Yeah, they were actually the first ones of the new year, so <laughs> <laughs> doesn't even fit there. But yeah, the the home court advantage should also probably continue to get a little bit better for both the men's and women's teams. We're we're nearing the end of the period where. You don't really have any students, and um, you know there was people in the stands, but the students obviously get louder than you know the random families that show up with their kids and stuff. And which you know you got to have a little bit of both, but uh, the atmosphere should probably become a little bit more intimidating, I think, in the coming weeks because Jamie students have been pretty pretty good um, about showing up and uh, being vocal for these basketball games since the Dukes moved into the Atlantic Union Bank Center. But we won't know exactly how that all plays out until we get back here next week for our next episode. But in the meantime, uh, this has been the Purple and Bold podcast, the JMU Sports podcast from the Daily News Record. I'm Shane Metlin, and here, as always, with my fellow JMU beat writer, Noah Fleischman. Uh, Thank you for listening.